everyone, I'm Brian Conley of Hunters HD Gold, and you're listening to Hunters HD Gold Behind the Lens. This podcast takes a deep dive into what it takes to be a match director, manufacturer, sponsored shooter, or just an everyday shooter trying to win his or her first major. So sit back and enjoy this episode of Hunters HD Gold Behind the Lens. Welcome back to another episode of Hunter's HD Gold Behind the Lens. Thank you so much for listening to the other episodes. And I apologize, there may have been some feedback from doing remote locations where I wasn't back in the Hunter's HD Gold Magical Mystery Tour. But I am back. We're back in the van. How you doing, David? Brian, I'm doing great. Is this a, the first podcast in the refreshed van? It is the first podcast back in the van with a brand new engine. So that is what's a very important big shout out to Express Oil and Tire Engineers for getting this knocked out a lot cheaper than Mercedes-Benz wanted to do it (laughs) theirself, which no no disrespect to Mercedes, but their hourly rate for their employees are a lot higher than the Express Oil Change and Tire Engineers in Greystone, Alabama. So shout out to those. I'm glad they got it going. The engine's running good, not running hot. Everything's going great. And David Lyle, you're with Masterpiece Arms. And you are the head honcho when it comes to gunsmithing, correct? Uh, As far as the Double Stack 1911 product line, yes, Yes. it is. We do some other stuff that I don't know anything about. Right. (laughs) Well, and and that's good because they they do a lot, of course, as well. But before we get into that, you know, I think I met you back in 20, probably 2019, somewhere at a match in South Carolina. And, you know, I remember, you know, I don't remember what you were doing then, but I don't know if it had to do with guns or not. Maybe it did. But what, you know, what did you do before you even started getting with guns? Is this something you've done all your life or is this something you did as a kid? What does that look like? Uh, As far as gun manufacturing and stuff, I've been at it for quite a while. Most of most of my experience with actual gun manufacturing is on the. uh the uh, DOD side, we did some. Uh, I did some military stuff. Um, oh wow! Machine gun type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, not. I mean, I guess they could be fun guns, but yeah, they were. It was more of just manufacturing type stuff. Right. But uh, recently got into the the pistol. You know, specifically double stack nineteen eleven stuff. When I started shooting right. USPSA, which wasn't much earlier than when, when we met actually so. oh wow so let's back up is this something you shot with your parents as a kid growing up who taught you how to you know when did you first start shooting um i, I grew up in the country in south carolina okay. and um always had bb guns and just stuff in the backyard and right did some shotgun stuff we'd throw clays out over the over the garden when when you say we that was you and your, uh, my, your, your family my, yeah, my, my dad and I would would do some stuff out there, right? And um, out at, at their their property, and um, just have friends come over occasionally, and right? Throw clays over the garden and chew clays out of the air, and right? There was um, you know, BB guns and pellet guns and twenty twos and shotguns, right. just just fun. What age did that start? You think? Oh gosh, I I always you know played with toy guns, you know, just as as a wee lad, but yeah, you know, plastic guns and Nerf guns and. Water guns, anything with a, you know, that's a gun. I right, liked it. Of course. Yeah. We, 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 we use sticks a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whatever, whatever. The stick is great. I've seen, I saw some memes out there on social media where, you know, it has like different guns that are all different shapes of sticks and stuff. So yeah, that was back in the, back in the seventies for me as well. So, but, um, but yeah, my, my grandfathers were, um, 
were military. They were all army. My, my father was. And um, I just I, I grew up, you know, kind of around firearms. No one was really into shooting. It okay. was just kind of, you know, part of part of life. But right. um, uh, I grew up watching um, Dirty Harry movies okay. and, and Clint Eastwood movies and yeah. stuff with my dad. And um, all the movies that he liked, every, you know, the, the the hero of the movie had a big gun on his hip. And right. I just thought that was super cool. Big, big revolver, big shiny revolver. Oh, you know? wow. It was just always interested me. Yeah. Were you, did you do a, a lot of sports to be competitive in high school and stuff like that? Uh, I did baseball, a lot of, a lot of baseball for up until about when I was finished with high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how many years I did, 10 years or so. Right. Played baseball. That was my main, you know. Out competitive outlet there. Right. Did you ever go um, hunting or anything with your dad or anything back in I the did, day? Because a lot it. of people didn't. It's a, it was a, took a special type of people to actually go hunting back in the day. So that's why I asked that question. Yeah, I didn't. Um, I mean, I grew up around a lot of guys that hunted, right. uh, friends, but my dad was never into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think after some of the experiences, um, you know, his, his father and, and, and my mom's father and, and experiences in the war and stuff that... Um, they weren't all that interested in shooting. That makes sense. Um, I've talked any, to other anymore. people that have that same kind of thing. That it was just a tool they had to use for yeah. their for the decision yeah. to, to be a part of what they did to help you know give us our freedom and everything else. But it was not something for fun. So yeah, I definitely no, not at that time. I've definitely definitely heard people talk about that and can relate. Um, you know, when you were going, you know, out of high school and stuff like that, did you? Did you? When did you start working with metals to begin with? Was this something that was always going on as you were your youth? Well, my grandfather, who was a World War II vet, okay, uh, he, I think, was the first one that actually introduced me to metalworking. And I grew up in a in a horse town, okay, uh, where they they had, um, uh, they, I think they actually trained uh, the thoroughbreds. Uh, a lot of the, um, the, I don't know anything about horses really, okay. even though I grew up in a horse town. But <laughs> okay, I took care of the neighbors' horses, but that's about all I know. But they would they would train uh, Kentucky Derby thoroughbreds oh, wow. in that area in the off season. Right. So they had blacksmiths. They had real blacksmiths that that hammered metal. Yeah. And um, formed horseshoes and 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 did the actual. Did you shoe horses? No, I didn't. Which... I just I just cleaned out the pins, and <laughs> spread out hay, and fed them when the neighbors were out of town <laughs> doing that stuff. But but I saw it and it was interesting. Right. Right. He, heating up metal to where it turned red and, right. and glowed, and then you know you bring it out and hammer it to sh- to a certain shape. And that was the first time I'd been introduced to any kind of metal working or forming. And then. I don't know. I was probably eight or nine years old. So he taught he taught you some of that at that age. No, he he didn't. He, he just, just took me to, to to see a guy, a local okay. local blacksmith, just yeah. to watch it, and it and it just kind of piqued my interest, just because I'd never seen it before. Right. And I started um, and before I was uh, uh, probably uh, sophomore junior in high school, I started uh, machine tool uh, technology course at the uh, local vocational center. Okay. And um. I did that for two years. I went to the regular high school, the normal high school, uh, for the first part of the day. And then I would leave after lunch and go to vocational school for the last part of the day, okay. second half of the day. And then uh, it was it was machine tool. That's where I got introduced to the actual more modern uh, right. machining lathes and, and milling machines. And, uh, wow. Was that something that when you when you when you decide to go that route, because I can relate with that to a point, because in my junior and senior year, I did co-oping as well but i went to go work you know at 
you know, a, a fast food place. And yeah. my logic was I'm only going to school for half a day because I didn't care for high school. <laughs> so I was getting out of school for half a day to go work at 15 years old. But that's what I did. did. Is that the same kind of mentality you had to go to vocational school to get out of the regular stuff and go on oh, a trade? I, I absolutely hated high school. Okay, now that's <laughs> why so, I asked that question. Yeah. It, I don't, and I don't know. I don't think it's a completely unique experience, but the, the general like academic stuff, just it bored me to tears. Okay. I didn't have to study. I didn't, I did homework for that night, that day during class. So I wouldn't have to do it. It right. just, it wasn't, an interest to me. It was, it, I don't know if it wasn't challenging or, right. or what it was, but I really enjoyed school and learning when it was something that interests me. Okay. Like, me, a, like the machining. I can go there. I can, school. I can go there with you. How, um, what year did you graduate high school? 2000. So 2000. So technology and, and some, some awareness from teachers usually can identify that. And then they usually bump you up in grades because you're not being challenged. Was that just something not offered at your high school that you went to? Um, or you just think you weren't noticed? Or what do you, how do you think? Well, you know? I actually had a, uh, a great career counselor that okay. I worked with there. And, and they had some, some college preparatory classes that they offered. But at the time, I wasn't even interested in college because my current experience with High school was not interesting to me. I did not want to continue that when I was graduated. Right. You know, at the time, that was just not something I was interested in. But the the career counselor that I was working with started introducing. She was the one that actually introduced me to the vocational center and the and the options that they had, the different courses and stuff that they mm -hmm. had there. And I was originally thinking carpentry. Really? Um, I just like building stuff with, well, with wood. Jesus was a carpenter. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a joke from a long time ago. I know some movie or something, but yeah, that's always funny. But, um, but, um, I had uh, carpentry. My, I, it was just something that I was trying to come up with something right. that I could do. Something okay. that kind of interested me. I okay. didn't take that route because of uh, industrial technology uh, and teacher I had in high school. I guess he saw more in me than, than what I guess... Typically, you could accomplish with carpentry. Mm -hmm. He um, suggested I check out, you know, the machine tool world. Now, some people, you know, when they're growing up, they're led down the paths of what their parents were involved in at some level. Was there anything that your dad did that you wanted to be kind of like him when you got older to some kind of work? Or was it was it totally like you were kind of felt like you're on an island there or something? Um well, I wasn't really interested in what my dad did specifically for a career, but okay. what interested me, um, he was, you know, as far as my dad's capability with, with building things and repairing things. And okay. We never had a, a repairman of any sort come to the house okay. when I was growing up as a kid. Right. My dad did it all. Wow. He took care of it. And cars, uh, electrical, carpentry. Uh, he he still amazes me with some of the stuff that that he did. So he's very independent as far as you know. We can get we can figure this out. Yeah, and it, it was never. Um, and I guess it's uh, maybe a blessing and a curse that it's. <laughs> where do you think that came from? That came that came from his his father, or where, where does somebody? Where do you think that came from? Some of it, I think, honestly, came from money or, or okay. lack of. Okay. Um, you know, that makes sense. Not being able to afford to pay someone eighty dollars yeah. an hour to come. That makes know, sense. Do some simple stuff around the house, right? Or, you know. Yeah, I've I've done stuff like that, and then I end up calling somebody, 
and end up paying for where I screwed it up even worse. So <laughs> oh, yeah. um, luckily enough, I've worked in some careers where I learned that eh, maybe you don't need to go down this path of doing yeah. this yourself yeah, anymore. Definitely. So I'm sure you've experienced having to fix other people's oh, gunsmithing. Sure. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, very so, recently. So, very recently, <laughs> we'll, which we'll get into in a minute. So you're in a situation where, you know, vocational was yeah. going there to work with metals. And that's where it pretty much started happening? It was something I just went into just to check it out at okay. first, um, just by, you know, recommendation of my industrial technology teacher mm -hmm. um, in high school. We did all kinds of stuff in industrial tech, which was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. um, we did some welding stuff, did some carpentry stuff. It was just a general industrial technology and you know he introduced you to a lot of different stuff did you get a job out of that get placed with somebody working out of that program um as an, as an apprentice or anything? toward the end of the my vocational schooling i did i did get an apprenticeship at a tool and die shop in the area okay um so i my senior year was quite busy i went to high school in the morning which is similar to my junior year but right. then i went to the vocational school in the afternoon i started taking a college course across the street at the local uh, tech school. Wow. And then I would go to work after that. <laughs> so okay. it, was, it was, I finished my, my senior year and then I um, dedicated uh, my apprenticeship at that tool and die shop and then ended up deciding when I originally was not interested in college, was going to go to the technical school mm -hmm. and um, work towards an uh, associate degree in uh, machining, machine tool technology. Now, staying that busy... With three different things going on, it sounds like. Yeah, there was a lot. A senior in high school, was there just not a lot of activity with other friends and stuff like that? Because is it, that, that seems like that kept you pretty busy. <laughs> yeah, it absolutely did. Um, how did. How did you find time that, for that outlet? Well, I did. I don't know. I didn't do a whole lot after that. After right. I, after I kind of got out of baseball, mm -hmm. and I was I was reluctant to do it. My I, my dad uh, coached some of the teams I was on, and we, ah, you know, I, I can relate. Grew up playing baseball. With my dad <laughs> I started. I started at six and seven years old, and uh, and yep, <laughs> I finally just kind of lost interest in it after ten years or so. It just kind of wasn't fun anymore. <laughs> no, and let me let me tell you a quick story because I can relate with you. Okay, what you just said because I was played baseball starting at six seven years old. Yeah, and I hate to break off like this, but but no, people want to no, hear about good. me. This is a funny story. I played baseball all through, you know, junior high, you know, junior high, elementary school yeah. and up. And then my dad became the commissioner of the little league. He bought Dixie Youth Baseball back in the oh, wow. Dixie Youth yeah. to Cottondale, Alabama, yeah, I played, right, I out, Dixie Youth. right outside of Tuscaloosa, where I grew up. So my dad, you know, supported everything I did. So became the entire commissioner for this and knew all the coaches, knew everything else. So, yes, I played baseball. Every single time it was going on, because I was not the coach's kid, but I was the you know commissioner's kid. Kind of which a step is, up from that. Yeah. <laughs> so needless to say, I played, had a blast until first year of high school. And I, guys on the same team, his name is Johnny James. I'll never forget him. Through sidearm with a curve. Okay. I'm up to bat. Every time that ball, he come out sidearm, right-handed. I'm a right-handed Right-handed hitter, he's a right-handed pitcher. That ball's coming right at me. <laughs> it curves inside for a strike, and I'm backing out. I step back like it's going to hit me. My coach, go run a lap. Oh, all right. <laughs> yeah. I did this one day long enough that, unfortunately, that's pretty much why I got out of baseball. Yes. Because very... I, got, I, got, I got tired of running because I was stepping out of the pitch, out of the plate, out of the box, excuse me, 
because the ball was coming at me and curves in. So when the ball started curving, that was my end of my baseball career. Yeah. <laughs> Junior well, high school. Curveball. <laughs> the curveball. Curveball took you out. I was, it's I was taking a lot of people out. <laughs> I had no more interest in running laps <laughs> or the curve. And me and I haven't seen Johnny, but he still lives in, lives in Tuscaloosa and works for University of Alabama. And we, we still talk and joke about that story. But going home that night, you know, telling my dad, it ain't, the first time I pretty much quit anything. Yeah. And it was a lesson learned early on. So there was no other coaching yeah. or anything else. It's just like, you know, the coach is like run. That was his coaching. <laughs> it wasn't yeah, that's not, not <laughs> it, fun anymore. It was different, but it was back in the, you know, the, the seven, late seventies, early eighties. And it was just different time back then. There was no, there was no places like there are today to go, you know, stand inside a batting cage and, practice that kind of stuff sure. so but yeah. it was it was into my career i was done i just that was into my baseball so but needless to say I, when you say you got out at a certain age based on you know it's kind of like we see junior shooters mm-hmm. they're driven to go shoot driven to go shoot dri- which is great if the if the kid's into it but then you see the kid get a certain age yep they get a car girlfriend or any excuse they're gone and you know they use the excuse of this and that, but a lot of it has to do sometimes with being pushed a little bit more than they want to over a period of time. I've and seen it. I've only been doing this at six years. I've seen it. I've seen it too. Yeah. And I remember my experience from baseball. Right. And I've tried to get my son interested in shooting. Yeah. He'll shoot with me. He loves shooting. Wonderful. We'll go out to the range and he'll shoot as much ammo as I bring out there. Mm-hmm. He's just not all that interested in the competition side of yep. it. Yep. And I am totally okay with it. Yep. And I've decided I'm never going to push him to do it. You can't. You've got to support him anyway. And yep. I've learned a hard lesson myself because I didn't push. You know, when I started buying guns from the very beginning, it was to get my son involved because he wanted to do it. Yeah. Well, yep. he backed out and I kept buying guns. So now I've got a van <laughs> with full of guns that he's not shooting. But he's getting he's he's 21 now. But you learn that you have to um, embrace what they want to do and support them, no matter how stupid yep. it may be. <laughs> And, um, yeah. and they, they come back and we're, he's made some stupid decisions before and he's done it and lived from it. And well, we all now have. we all have, and now we're, we're closer now than we ever have been because I didn't just say no, I supported him when his decisions were. So some people know that story, but it's a whole nother thing that happened. But, you know, that was very, you know, so you're in a situation, let's get back to you for a second. Cause we, I, that's how I look squirrel yeah. and I start going off on another story, but you know. So you're in a situation where you started working, you started doing college classes, you started doing all this stuff on the side, mm-hmm. and high school was still happening around you. What was that like? I was just in high school just to get it done. Okay. As soon as I was done with it, I remember the day we had to wear these ID badges, and I'm, I don't know if they still do now. They probably got, I don't know, barcode they scanners. They probably got tracker somewhere. somewhere. <laughs> but I remember dropping that ID badge in the trash can as I was leaving the door for the last day of high school. Wow. I loved it. Deuces. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then it allowed me to spend more time at, at college at the technical school where, right. I, where I felt like I was learning something that I could actually use. And, and that's where your passion was. Yeah. The, yeah. It became my passion at that time. Yeah. Nice. Let's take a quick break. This is one of our sponsors, and we'll talk more about the passion and what that looks like moving forward. This week's podcast is brought to you by Kana Gold. Kana Gold is a premier lifestyle brand for those who work hard and play harder. There are many hemp companies out there that get lost in the crowd, but Kana Gold sets the gold standard with its premier line of products. When traveling all around with a magical mystery tour to different matches, I travel around with lots of different flavors, including pink grapefruit, candy apple, and vanilla cherry. Make sure to stop by and get some for yourself. They are all zero calories, zero sugar, use organic hemp, and are THC and CBD free. Competitive shooters love them because there's no shakes, no headaches, and no crash. 
When you order from conagoldhemp.com, make sure to use discount code HUNTERSHD for another 20% off. And we're back. Um, Conagold energy drink I'm sipping on right now. Which which flavor is this? This one is good. This is the original um, one they came out with when they first came out in 2016, the classic. So there's not really a flavor like the other stuff. This one has sugar. So this one has... Um, you know, 160, you know, calories. It's not sugar-free like the others and has, um, shoot, let me see, 40 grams of sugar. So it's like a Coca-Cola, but it tastes really good. Well, I like it. <laughs> I, I normally um, go for the sugar-free drinks. Well, I bring the sugar ones in one's for the good. podcast. So it's like, pop, you yeah, know, and that's, my, that's, that's my secret to get people talking. Get them jacked yeah, up on start sugar. start talking really fast here. <laughs> I'm only about halfway through. But no, that's the original flavor they came out with that really got me attracted to, you know, kind of go from the very beginning. So um, I'm glad you're enjoying that. Um, you're going now in college at vocational training, trade school, where you're doing. This is where the rubber hit the road of, you know, you're starting to make some career choices, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, um, actually, yes. Um, finishing up. I'm looking at, um, I finished my vocational school. I finished high school. Um, able to spend more time at the um, technical school, actually, you know, working toward a, a, a degree. And um, I got a couple other certificates along the way, CNC, right. CNC programming and and uh, a couple other things along the way and working and at the apprenticeship at the tool and die shop, um, you know, during this time as well. And finished college and I was still at the tool and die shop and made a decision to to follow a female um, oh. to another city wow. outside of home. Okay. So, yeah, I don't know. No, we're gonna we, was, uh, we'll, we'll dive down this. Bad, we'll but, dive down this a little bit. So, let me put this scenario out there. You're doing all this stuff. You're focused is the big oh, word to use. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, life starts to happen mm-hmm. around you. And you're. What does this look like? Talking. How old are you now? You're talking. Is this something you talk to your parents about? Were you still living at home, or is this like something like? Uh, yeah, you were I was out? until okay. yeah until I finished uh, at the tech school. Yeah, yeah. so I was. 21. So when you decided that, you know, this was like, yeah, 21 probably. So this was like everything just happened at once when that happened, right? Well, I knew, you know, toward, toward the end when I was, you know, getting close to finishing up college and I was, Mm -hmm. I was about to finish up about the same time I was finishing up my two year apprenticeship program. Okay. Um, I just kind of, you know, I was done with school and had the ability to make some money on my own. Right. And didn't really want to live at home with mom and dad anymore. I get it. So I was just kind of, Looking for other options and stuff that was out there. So found a job, you know, and yeah. uh in the town where my girlfriend at the time was was moving to go to college. Right. And how uh, far away was this from? It home? wasn't far, 40, oh. 45 minutes an hour. It oh. was just, just okay. something different. Okay. Not another state or anything. No, same okay. state. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't know. I use it as an as an excuse to just go do something different, try something different. So yeah, not this, so use it as an excuse as an opportunity to find another career or find another no, no, job. No, no. Or, no is it, well, you know. is it different job? I was, okay. it was same career. I mean, that was um, I've, I've, you know, since I started all this, I've, that's all I've ever done is you know, career wise, has been in uh, manufacturing and and I've been fortunate enough to work and and you know, a, a good many different parts of manufacturing all mm-hmm. of, you know being involved with metalworking and tool and die stuff kind of what i started with um shops where i've run uh manual machines um different you know surface grinders uh milling machines right vertical mills horizontal mills lathes um got more into the cnc uh end of it 
okay. um, programming and, and uh, that sort of stuff. Started um, operator, just as an operator, you can, you can hire a machine operator for, you know, pennies on the dollar, but right. it was, I was already in that environment, but started running some of these CNC machines just as an operator and got more into the setup. So the money it. starts coming, right? Yes. If you pursue it, mm-hmm. um, you start learning more about setting up the machines and, and that, the, the programming side of it started interesting me. Right. Um, more so on that end. And I started getting more involved in that and ended up going back to college. Oh, really? Uh, a few years after this, you know. Was this something the this company happened. was going to pay for? Or is this something that um, you had to do on your own to get certification? They, they did help me. They did help with some okay. of the tuition. Wonderful. Um, so I took advantage of that. And um, this time I was in for software engineering. Okay. Because um, I was more interested in, in, in the computer side of stuff. And I'd spent. So you went from bending metal and, and, and carving out metal to the programs that was writing to bend the metal. Yeah, um, all the all the machines, the CNC machines, require certain programming to make them work. Right, and um, there's a, there's a couple different you know programming languages. It's also known as math, it. right? It is math. <laughs> yes, there is a lot of math, there. a lot of numbers. Yeah, it's uh, um, it just I don't know. It became interesting to me, interesting, and um, I just I pursued it some more, and I I spent the last. Um, I don't know. Before starting with Masterpiece Arms, I was spent probably eight or nine years, and that was I was a programmer. Was, um, at that point. When was your big break in that process? When you, when you said you did stuff for the DOD and stuff like that, when was the big break when all that started happening? Yeah. Um, well, I moved. Um, I mo- ended up moving back to uh, Aiken, South Carolina, where I grew okay. up and went to school originally. Um, Same girlfriend. No, different yep. group. Oh, good. I did just <laughs> just following up on the other uh, previous story. This my wife. My wife now. Okay, good. Yeah. Okay, we we've been together eleven. Congra- ma- married eleven years. Congratulations! Years. You made it past the ten year oh, part. Oh gosh, I think ten years is pretty hard. It's at least ten. Yeah, the ten the ten years <laughs> is the that that mark of like okay, are we this is really getting hard. Are we going to continue? Yeah. Ten years is always a booker for people. We're we're pretty well set in our ways now. Nice. We're not going to go anywhere. Well, so. congratulations! <laughs> I'm glad you I'm glad you made it. That's huge. But you went to the you, when you start doing stuff for DoD. That's yeah. that seems like. Okay, one, don't you have to have some kind of, like, I guess, clearance or some kind of background check or something? Or what does that look well, like? Well, they have, I mean, it was through the, the company I was working for. They, right. You have to, um, you, you have to meet certain, certain criteria. Right. And, um, well, the reason I ask that question is when I used to manage Verizon Wireless, they went through different levels, and I had to be cleared by the federal yeah, on certain yeah. checks to even work for Verizon Wireless, which, because they, you know, you're handling people's accounts that can go, as high as you, sure. if you want to, you know, dig into, which now you, you can't dig anymore based on some stuff that happened a long time ago, at, way after I left. But you know, you had to be have high clearance to be able to, you know, access people's accounts and stuff. So yeah, there's there's certifications you had to maintain, and they okay. would they would send in it inspectors, uh, you know, a couple times a year, once mm-hmm. a year, depending on the certification you're 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 maintaining. Did some stuff. Uh, we had a aerospace certification, so we mm-hmm. we dabbled in some aerospace stuff, which kind of went away over the last few years with all the COVID fiasco with aerospace, but so the, the certifications went away or the, no, no, or, no, the, went, or the, uh, the, the business went away. The business really, really? Um, people quit buying new airplanes. Uh, oh wow. Because no one was allowed to fly Makes anymore. Sense. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, they were, the, um, aerospace companies were just trying to maintain 
what they had. Uh, what they had, and they were buying parts. Um, but Are you still in touch with some of those people? Is that picking back up again? I think it is. I would um, think so. But I have been in touch with a couple other uh, people that did aerospace work outside of the, the company I work for. And mm-hmm. they've, they've since, you know, kind of ventured into other stuff, too. Really? So, so I don't know. I don't have a, you know, big insight on aerospace. Yeah, anymore, because, but. I mean, I can see when people had dedicated, you know, their career to doing this type of job. And then COVID happens and that job's not there and they go to something else. Yeah. It's just not easy to find somebody to pick up the phone and say, hey, I need you to come make aerospace products. No, that's not easy not to find if, people. Not if you've, you know, made the decision to go a different direction. That's right. Yeah. You've changed your machines and your tooling and yeah. you know, what you're what you're doing there. Maybe think, maybe law certifications. I don't know. Yeah, that would that would make you know, there's so many different careers out there now that are hiring that don't have people to do certain jobs anymore. And I'm just putting that all together yeah. like, well, people there's people there. They just chose to go do something else. Yeah. Based on yeah. the based on the economy changing. So wow, just a little side note. Um so when you're there and you're going through, you know, making products for the, DO, you know, the DOD and stuff like that, did you get to test any of these products or are you just strictly, you know, working on program designs? Did you actually get to test the stuff you got to, you know, make? Uh, we, we did some of it. Most of what we did was not a complete assembly. Okay. Um, we sent m- most of the components out for final assembly and that's okay. where they did their testing. Fair enough. We were, when I left that the, they were in process of getting an on-site government agent there to, I guess it was requirement for testing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure exactly who that. Did you ever really know what you was, was making? But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. We had. Because um, so, sometimes you take 17 parts, you know, well, I'm making this. I have no idea. Right. Now, I have no I've, idea what it goes I've to. I've definitely done that before. Okay. And I'm um, <laughs> just like, this looks cool. I don't, yeah, here you go. I don't know what it is. But right. We had some of the um, original drawings from John Browning. Really? On some of the machine guns and stuff we were working on. And I thought that was really cool because being a gun guy. Yeah. And knowing a little bit of history about John Browning and the stuff yeah. he did. Um, he didn't actually make drawings. Uh, he did it all in his head. So someone else, I think his brother would would try to interpret some of the stuff that they were doing and, and try to put some drawings together. Uh, when we got into, I think it was, a, I can't remember if it was the M2. I think it was the Browning M2 machine gun that we got a set of drawings for Mm -hmm. had a contract for so many you know so many of these machine guns we built the guns well the initial gun to the specs of these drawings and it didn't work the the parts didn't go together (laughs) no they didn't fit so somebody taking (laughs) taking notes based on what he's saying didn't didn't, i I don't know exactly where the drawing came from but john browning's name was on this and it was i can't remember the date when it was What's it, uh, the original date of the drawing was, but I mean, it was so it when was you early first, 1900s. So when you first saw one of these drawings and you saw that name, were you like, oh, this is, yeah, this is history. It's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I've, I've read some of his uh, biography stuff. Some of his, uh, his the books have been written on it. Right. It's, I found it really interesting. I find it great that you build, <laughs> built it and, uh, per the specs of what's on the yeah, paper. And it didn't work. <laughs> and it wouldn't even go together. I mean, it didn't even have a chance of working. You couldn't even put the thing together. <laughs> so when this happens and you go to do something, it, was it up to you to fix it? <laughs> yes, we had to fix it. We had to figure out, we had to, we redid all the drawings. You redid to, the drawings. To make it to where the parts would actually fit together. So, so, you're, so your name's on the program now or is, is it still got John Brown? Browning's on. Oh, uh, no, it's just, a, 
you can't get the government to change a drawing unless you have some major pool somewhere outside of what we were doing. Right. But, uh, we use drawings. We just made our own in-house drawings that we actually worked off of. We're, we're going to edit this. and this We is... just kind of stuffed those drawings out in the drawer somewhere. And That's wonderful. Our own. But it was still cool to see it, but none of them worked. Yeah, no, I wonder if that was done by design. It could have been. It really could have been. Yeah. If somebody got their hands on it, you know, not, yeah. not knowing enough about it yep. it wouldn't work it makes sense i could see that being done by design so <laughs> so how long did you do that work before you know you know you started changing are we, are we in the shoot are you we're not even in competitive shooting yet are you doing competitive shooting yet through this process um toward the end of toward the end of this yeah i got in, I, I, um I've always been interested in competitive shooting. I just didn't. Why? I didn't. What, what? I didn't knew I, w- I was. Okay. What? Or I didn't know I was. How did you even know? I'd be, I'd be, yeah, exactly. How did you even know it existed? I um I saw it in a magazine at the grocery store. Um, oh, where that's, I that's intriguing. Where I um I would in the summer I'd go with my mom to go grocery shopping and I'd sneak off to the magazine aisle while she was you know picking up groceries. Right. And I always looked at the gun magazines and um. I don't know what magazine it was, but I picked up some gun magazine and there was uh, just some uh, some photos of uh, this guy had like this, this crazy looking pistol in his hand with some kind of scope on the top of it and a real long, looked like a real long barrel and a big long magazine hanging out of it. Sounds like Bianchi Cup. I just thought it looked really cool. I was like, man, that's a pistol. What right. It? it ended up being a uh, CZ Checkmate. Really? One of their open because I didn't know it at the time. I right. didn't know anything about it. But that was just the first time I remember seeing like one of these really cool race guns. Okay. And I didn't know a whole lot about it. But I was it was interesting to me. Like I said, I was always interested in anything guns. Okay. Anything gun related. It was fun and interesting to me. So, I always wanted to do the competitive shooting, but I, right? I I didn't get into it until, you know, a little bit little bit later in life, toward the toward the end of uh my career before with masterpiece arms so how did you take me were you just shooting a your regular gun at a gun range or something and you found out about it how did you find out that there was actually this going on where you could research that that it that's interesting um, I, I looked into it a little bit and some of the first stuff that i found was in was information about idpa okay and i don't really know why there's more information about idpa out there than uspsa i've always mm-hmm. kind of wondered I don't know why that's easier to find um, hmm. information out there, but I've heard that from from other people before. Right. When they first get, you know, researching competitive shooting, IDPA seems to be the first one that kind of pops up for some reason. But well, let me see. Well, so competitive shooting. Sometimes they drop stuff up in alphabetical order. So maybe that could, could be. Could I don't be. Know. <laughs> search engine results. I don't know. I don't know. I, don't know. I, I never actually ended up shooting IDPA. Um, Not at I all. Did, no, I you just, read about it. I did. I read about it, and it was just kind of my first introduction to competitive shooting okay. knowledge. Right. And um, you know, as I was researching that, and then found a um, a listing for. I think I think they actually did an IDPA. It wasn't a it wasn't official IDPA match, but it was kind of like a defensive pistol competition at an indoor range mm-hmm. um, locally. And I finally just decided to just to go do it. I just wanted to go check it out and go see what it was about. Okay. And it, it was like a four-stage uh, indoor match. And they would do one uh, like every other week, I think. And they kind of alternated between USPSA, IDPA. And then they did a uh, a low-light match, which I thought was super cool, where you could use a weapon-mounted light. Right. And uh, it was kind of defensive pistol style. Mm-hmm. But um, they turned the lights out after you make ready. 
and then you're you're in the dark until you turn your light on, <laughs> draw oh, wow. your gun, and turn the light on, which is cool. Right. I, I you don't get to do that very often. That kind of training, I, right? I thought I thought was really neat. That is neat. And um, I did that just to kind of just gain a little more experience with with pistol shooting, and and um, really started enjoying the game side of it and the competition side of it and, okay. and, and then wanted to take it a little further. Wow. So you did that at an, you saw that at an indoor range and did somebody tell you about an outdoor match called USPSA or how did you get uh, that? Yes. Actually, after the, um, that indoor match, we would all go to the, um, the local brewery oh. um, for dinner. And uh, we actually two, three at the time, three of the brewers, um, shot the matches there so we would all go to their brewery and eat dinner and okay. drink, you know drink a couple of beers yeah. and they were talking about some of the outdoor stuff that was going on in the area and um i got interested in that i was like well I'm doing it here this is fun i'm gonna right. go check out some of the outdoor stuff and then that's where i really saw the you know official uspsa matches and right. official uspsa gear which was something that I've been interested in since I was, you know, ten years old, looking in these gun magazines, seeing these space gun right. looking things, these open guns. Those Actually, are well, ten maybe okay. So those are not normally the magazines people go for at ten years old, but I understand. <laughs> maybe not. Continue. <laughs> no, I did. I don't know. Okay. No, it's just, just guns. That's it. Oh, I'm cool. Just guns. I like guns. So <laughs> you went to your first match. Did you go to your first match to watch? Or did you go to your first match to participate? Mm, no, I, uh, I, I went to participate. I was shooting. I learned enough about it to kind of talking to these guys at the, that um, indoor match and learned enough about gear to kind of know not to buy all this random stuff without, you know, testing some, some gear out first. And okay. without, I knew I wanted to shoot open division, but I, you know, I was not at the point where I wanted to drop that kind of money into an open gun. Okay. But I started uh, with a production rig with a CZ-75, just a, a standard CZ-75, maybe, maybe an SPO one mm -hmm. something like that. But anyway, it was, um, again, I don't know why the production division seems like the, the best starting point for new shooters. It's at the, now I know it's one of the worst places you could actually start right. division wise in, in USPSA, but that's what I did at the time. You think a lot of people just start there because they're just bringing what they have from home? Oh, I mean, a lot of the, yeah, a lot of your normal you guns that? kind of fit the production or can fit the production right. gun requirements. But as far as strategy and the actual competition side of it, that's an extremely difficult division. Right. It's um, I don't know. No, I get where it. I started. I didn't stay there long. Did you not? <laughs> no. Did you get classified when all that started happening? Did you remember your first classification in production? I, think I did. I think I was. I think I got. I think I classified D in production. Did the classification system coming from no competition shooting experience, mm -hmm. coming from a background of a little bit of baseball, but once it got too crazy as far as sponsors and everything else you got out right i did and you're in a situation where you're looking at you know there's a competition aspect about this with the classification system is that something that interested you or were you focused on that at all uh for the first six months while i was shooting production no i wasn't okay. i didn't even know how the classification system worked 
right. I was still just trying to learn the game, okay. learn how to play the best I could, and learn my gear. And that was about the time that um, Carry Optics was was introduced as a provisional division. Okay, and I got really interested in that because um, I'd never shot a red dot on a pistol before, mm-hmm. and I've done some stuff with you know on a rifle and and uh, things like that, but. I'd always wanted to try one on a pistol and carry optics seemed like a great way, inexpensive way to get into it and try it out. Right. See if I liked it. And it might, you know, help me decide if, if open was kind of the direction I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. And um, at that point, after I got comfortable with the carry optics gun, I really started getting interested in the classification side of it. Okay. Really started, you know, trying to push um, for, you know, training and trying to push that classification level up. So the competitive side started to come out at that point. It did, yeah, and I think it was. Were you shocked by that? Because you you mm-hmm. were, you had stepped away from the competition side for so long. Did it just come back to you naturally, or did, was that something that was like? Did it feel good to be competitive again? I guess it. You know, I don't. I, I never. I've always felt like it's been competition with myself. Okay, and, and I wonder if that's why maybe the the team aspect of baseball wasn't you know just. I wasn't too interested in that toward the toward the end when I stopped playing it. Right. The competition with myself is is always been there, and um, and that just just, I don't know. It might be a a curse, but it's it's just comes naturally, and um, not really a curse. I mean, I guess it could be if you let it. Right. But um, that was kind of what I was using a classification system for. It It was was not so much competing against other people. Right. But just to see how far I could go and what I could do and how far I could improve my skills with with what I was doing personally. Right. I like that part of it. Did you have other friends you were shooting with at this time now also to say, well, so and so is a B class shooter. I want to I want to be a B class shooter too. Or were you driven that way? There were there were a couple guys that um that hung around for a little bit and we shot together, but they kind of faded away and, and yeah. went out to do other stuff. I remember one guy you used to shoot with when I met you. I don't see him much anymore. Uh, I can't remember, you know, there's one one guy when we met, I think, in South Carolina that used to shoot with you a lot. I don't see him. I don't know. Not sure if this was during your carry optics days or not. I don't remember, but probably was. It might have, you know, I remember, you know, y'all used to be together in a couple of matches. Yeah, we had, but, there was a couple of guys that, you know, um, I don't know. They just didn't stick it out. And, and that's why I brought that up. You stuck it out. And... Yeah. Do you think, you know, people leave the sport? And that's mm-hmm. where I'm going to with this subject for a, a minute. When people leave the sport, you know, they can use all these excuses of this drama, that drama. But I've come to tell myself and understand by talking to other people, some people, a lot of majority of people leave the sport because it's just expensive. And their life carries on when they have real life bills to pay and sure. real life households to manage and a family and kids and Changes everything. Sure. I mean, it is, it can be expensive, but I, I guess it depends on how you look at it. Okay. Um, to me, anyway, if I look at it from a racing standpoint, which I kind of do now, um, it's one of the cheapest sports you can get into, I think, as far as racing goes. Okay. Um, I know bicycles, you know, a full carbon fiber bike is way more expensive than an open gun that you would buy. Really? 
And, um, you know, I know nothing about not, bicycles. Well, I don't know a whole lot about it either. Oh, okay. I just, I knew somebody working at a bike shop. Oh. I'd see the price tags. <laughs> okay. Okay. But, you know, race cars, dirt bikes, yeah. um, any kind of racing you do is just outrageous, outrageously expensive. Well, that's, that's, it's funny you say that because I've, I always assumed there's one other sport more expensive than this and it was racing cars, but there's other oh, yeah. racing as well that can be more expensive than horse racing. Yeah. Uh, I'll get it now. from where I grew up. Yeah. You know, everybody race horses. Around. Yeah. I'm, I'm starting to see a bigger picture. It's, uh, it's definitely, you know, our sport's not cheap, Yeah, but it doesn't have to be expensive either. Right. Um, carry optics is a great way to, you know, keep, keep your budget in line and right. still be able to do some other stuff. But. Oh, wow. Well, let me take another quick break. And then I want to get into when Masterpiece Arms came up and where we are today. How's that sound? Sounds good. Cool. One more quick break from our sponsor. We'll finish up with David. Is also sponsored by Make Ready Nutrition. They have three products available for shooters that are Two Alpha Performance to drink before hammer down, Two Alpha Recovery that I use personally as a meal replacement for lunch with 34 grams of protein and is low carb, Two Alpha Ammunition, which is next level hydration plus energy and amino acids for shooters, gym workouts, or pushing your body in sports and recreation. Whether you're in the Texas heat or in Arizona desert, 2-Alpha Ammunition works harder and endures longer. This unique formula is manufactured for shooters by shooters to replenish your body with electrolytes and hydration while helping aid in muscle recovery and providing fast energy. For 25% off your next order, go to makereadynutrition.com slash discount slash huntershd or enter huntershd at checkout for 25% off your entire order. Makereadynutrition.com are you ready? So you're you're doing some work on guns mm-hmm. and all of a sudden how do you find out about Masterpiece Arms? Well, uh a couple years before that, I guess um like I was talking about before, I learned that I really like the red dot on a carry optics gun. Got it. And I've always been interested in open guns. But still was not at the point where I wanted to put down the money to buy a custom open gun. But just so happens, I've spent the last or previous 15 years of my life um, working with metal and building guns and right. machine work. So I decided I was going to build my own open gun. <laughs> okay. So you built so your own open gun. I did. And I I did a lot of it. I, um, I machined a lot of the parts myself just from... I wanted to learn about it. I wanted to learn the platform and, and, you know, kind of the gun itself inside and out as, you know, along the way while I was building something for, for me to shoot. When you build something from scratch, mm-hmm. who's your inspiration? Which manufacturer were you inspired by? To oh, everyone. Okay. Everyone. I was researching, doing every, yeah, everything I could, talking to people. Um, some, some of the guys out there that um, a lot of the, you know, the, the well-known custom builders yes. weren't, weren't that friendly with communication. No, they, which, they, they're, they're pretty, they're yeah. pretty tight lipped, but you know, I understand that too. Yeah. They're, that's how they're, they're making their living. They don't want to give away any kind of mm-hmm. secrets they think they may have or whatever. Right. But there's some other guys out there doing, you know, 1911, 2011 builds. Right. And, um, they were, you know, that were good to talk to more than willing to share information. And, uh, there's a lot of stuff out there. I mean, people have been building 1911s forever the, the double stack, Platforms a little newer. When you first started reaching out to some of these people who you thought may be helpful, yeah, <laughs> and then found out they weren't, were you shocked? 
No, not really. Okay. I was just curious because I, mean, I was shocked. And because I wasn't aware there was that type of competitiveness based on the manufacturing I come from. Because I'm, you know, I make lenses. And I've communicated with other labs about certain things that being done this way or that way. Because we're not really in competition because we're all making lenses for doctors. But just different ways yeah. to handle certain situations. That, hey, hey, this lens has this much prism. How did you fix that based on this base curve? And just different things like that. And we all helped each other. Well, I, I totally feel the same way. And, and that's the way I have approached, you know, most of the things I do in my life, inclu right. including, you know, the manufacturing and stuff that I do. There was some stuff that we were bound by um, contract that of we course. couldn't share information about. But of course. as far as, you know, helping people out with questions, I'm always more than, more than willing to help with, you know, anything that I know that I can right. help you with, I'm more than happy to help you with. So when you started, when you made your own gun, were you in a situation you started making other people guns as well? Well, uh, yeah, once I finished that one, I started, there was a need in the area, uh, for, for the local competitive shooters. Mm -hmm. Um, they they didn't have a gunsmith to, um, you know, maintain the competition gun. So I started doing that for all the local people in the area. And um, was that a good thing or a bad thing based on you wanting to have a shooting career as well? <laughs> well, <laughs> both. OK. It started out as a really good thing. And, right. Um, I didn't let on to this uh, initially to my fellow shooters, but right. I was using their guns to learn from. Oh, OK. So <laughs> that makes sense. That makes sense. But um, also fixing their guns along the way. But so if another manufacturer had a problem, you'd fix it and you'd learn from it from another manufacturer's yes. defects. Yes. Well, not defects, but just well, parts wearing out. Something issues. issues yeah, yes. stuff, stuff shows up. I right. mean, no matter what mechanical device, it's going to have problems at right. some point or another. But. I, I hear a lot of people talk about, oh, it's the ammo and stuff like that. Were you, were you finding other things where it wasn't really the ammo? It was actually a, a mechanical part? Or did you yeah. see both? Both. Uh, well, yeah, the ammo can definitely be an issue, and, right. it, and it definitely is. Okay. Um, people don't have a good understanding about, especially if you're loading your own ammo. Mm -hmm. I've, I've learned that people really don't know a whole lot about what quality ammo needs to well, look like. I learned on YouTube how to load ammo, and sure, I think it's yeah, pretty good. I know. Thank That's you very much. Else <laughs> <laughs> That's how I learned. But, but there's other things, too, that, that I saw that was just... Um, really in in some of the design and and some of the way that some of the machining was executed right that, that i came across um some other local shooters in the area who had who were sponsored by um you know gun companies yeah uh brought me their guns quite often wow uh when they were new right to make them run oh wow <laughs> and um because those guns aren't cheap no pretty much no, are, anybody who you go through they're not cheap on any, are, on any open gun Quite a few of them were from custom gun builders, right? And um, you know, I mean, you know, stuff happens. It, yeah. But I was able to use that and learn from that, learn from these other guys and what they were doing and what didn't work, mm -hmm. um, even though they claimed it did, right? <laughs> but you know, so it was good, and and I was able to you know build a little name for myself in the local area and working for these. Um, I wasn't working for them, but working on these sponsored shooters guns, my name started to move around a little bit more. Right. Um, you know, these guys are traveling out of town, going to, you know, going to major matches outside of the local area. So my name was starting to move around a little bit more. And um, then it, at that point, started to become kind of too much. Did you ever have some of the manufacturers who made the gun originally? 
call you back and ask you what you did to fix a problem? I no. Okay. Just I actually tried to contact a couple of them myself right. just to offer advice and stuff that I was seeing. How'd that go over? They didn't want to hear it. Okay. No, I'm just curious. I had a team shooter. Um, I asked the team shooter because I could tell just by looking at the gun. I knew the situation at the shop the, for the reason I had a gun that looked like this in my hand. I knew right. it, there was a lack of training on the person that was doing the final assembly. Of that I knew gun. the origins. Yeah. Yep. And um, I could tell it just by looking at it. I didn't really know the origin, mm-hmm. but I had enough experience in manufacturing world and and the gun world i knew what i was looking at right i knew that the guy doing the final assembly needed more training on what he's actually doing and i offered i said i you know i'm looking at this this gun's not working i could tell this guy needs some help do you do these guys need some help i mean is it something i can help them with i'm more than happy to i'm not building guns for a living at this time right I'm, i'm helping out fellow shooters and um no feedback no wow it's a there was another situation i tried to help somebody with with some R&D stuff they were doing, but using shooters, uh, customers to to test their R&D guns on. And, you know, it. Um, I, I saw what they were doing was not the correct approach for, for the what they were trying to do. And I offered some some advice and help there because I I had more, you know, some knowledge of it. They were I could tell they were trying to learn. They right. were learning the process. You have to do. You have to learn somewhere. You got to try different stuff and fail. Yeah, right. I'd already done it and failed several times, and I was able, you know, had some on more your knowledge. personal guns though. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. That's a big difference in customer guns. And um, offered help there, but no, I actually got a fairly negative or, or strong wow no about that one. But then that can you know, a, and, and for you to stick with what you're doing now, that says a lot about you because some people could be like. Well, this is not, I don't want to be involved in this <laughs> negativity of, of people not trying to help other people to do the right thing in their industry. So what meant, you just mentally pushed yourself through that and just didn't let it bother you? Well, no. I mean, I was just trying to help. It yeah, didn't bother no. me. It didn't affect yeah. what I was doing. Right. Um, it affected them. Right. But you're, you're in a situation where you're going to make more money on charging somebody else to fix this problem. <laughs> I guess so. It's, um, how do you do it? So a hmm. lot of the... You know, like I said, I was still, I was learning. I was using these guns to learn from. Yeah. And a lot of the stuff, it was for friends, local shooters. Right. I didn't charge much of anything. That makes sense. Uh, as far for my labor, I mean, right. they had to buy parts, but. Well, that's that's really good for the sport and everything else. It helps keep a lot of people in the game. So that's very yeah. honorable of you. That's very cool. So how did MPA find you or did you find MPA? How did this all get started where you're now with a up-and-coming major serious player in USPSA. Well, it's exciting. I'm okay. excited about it. Okay. How did it start? Well, the um, I knew, let's see, uh, I think before, before I knew anything about Masterpiece Arms, I, they became uh, really well-known in the precision rifle world. Correct. And um, I'm not much of a precision rifle shooter at all, so I didn't really know anything about Masterpiece Arms, but... Um, before I got involved, they um, Phil Cash and the owner acquired uh, part of a business from a, a, a previous uh, gun manuf- pistol manufacturer, double stack, 1911 ma- manufacturer with CK Arms and Freedom Gunworks. Okay, and um, they're they're you know no longer an entity. Um, we acquired all the assets, have nothing to do with their with their names or uh, you know their companies are 
I don't know if they exist anymore or okay. whatever, but we're not related to them at all anymore. But right. the, the guy that was um, running that, that part of the business at the time was interested in getting out of it, wanting to do something else. And I think he kind of dabbled in some precision rifle stuff and knew Phil. I think that's how it happened. And right. he mentioned something to Phil and Phil and, you know, thought it might be a good opportunity for him and, and the business and MPA to, to branch out and get into the uh, double stack 1911 world. Right. And um, that, posed uh a lot of uh initial difficulties for them up front i think the first year that they were um working with this guy and and building these guns they were having a lot of issues okay a lot of the issues that i had previously been working on other manufacturers guns and correcting and seeing these stuff from other manufacturers right these guns are having the same problems and um i ended up um with uh, Travis Tomasi shooting uh, nationals with him one year, and um, right when he started shooting with MPA, okay, and um, we ended up talking, and and he knew a little bit about what I did with with, with the gunsmithing kind of stuff, and um, he knew because of his experience with the guns that he was trying to shoot with MPA that they need, they needed some help too, okay, and um, uh, a couple of buddies of mine that, that that run a podcast out of uh, Augusta had uh, Phil Cashin on the show for a precision rifle, um, you know, some precision rifle talk. Uh, right. They had an event they went to. Is that the one? Um, I know those guys. Um, what's her name and what's his name? J- Jennifer. Yeah. Seymour and Greg. Yeah, Jennifer and Greg. Yes. Yeah. yeah I've been on their show before as well. Yeah. Good we, people. We shot together a good bit. Yeah. Um, you know, back when I was in Aiken, Augusta area. Okay. And um, they had Phil on the show. Phil was on the show for okay. some rifle stuff. And he mentioned to them that he had just acquired, uh, you know, the double stack 1911 stuff they yeah. were trying to do. And he was looking for somebody to help him out. And Greg said, I know just a person you need to talk to. Wow. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> because I'd worked on some of his stuff and, yeah. and everybody's everybody in the area that, you know, competition shooters, I yeah. pr- probably worked on their gun. Yes. So <laughs> at one point or another. So um, we ended up, um, Greg got us in touch. I talked to Phil a couple of times. We ended up at the next uh, national championship meeting up for dinner. Um, right. Tra- Travis and Phil and I met up for dinner after nationals. Or before, I don't remember. At some point during nationals, right. and uh, we talked for a bit, and seemed like it was something that we were both, you know, interested in. And I was looking to to make a change in 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 my current position and what I was doing mm-hmm. at the time, anyway. And you're, so you're still living in South Carolina? Yes, okay. back in South Carolina. Yeah, and um, things were getting crazy. Um, you know, I was working way too way too much, way too many hours, mm-hmm. and. Um, I was just kind of miserable with what with what I was doing. Um, not so much with you know career wise. I liked what I was doing. I like right. I've always liked the machining and programming and manufacturing type of stuff. Just that current job I was at, which right. was, it, it was just getting to be too much. And Bill and I, you know, we worked out a deal, and I quit my job in Aiken. Um, Sold my house and moved to Georgia. Right. And started, uh, well, I started, I lived in hotels for eight months trying to find a house there. Oh. And um, never even been to the shop before. Right. Um, So I just up and left, (laughs) quit everything I had and moved uh, to a different state. 
You were married. Yes. You stayed married. Congratulations. That sounds like a little stressful time. (laughs) Yep. My wife stayed. She's a school teacher. So she had her contract to to finish up teaching. Well, she's used to dealing with the kids. Continue. uh, Yep. Yep. She is. She's pretty good at it, too. (laughs) I'll get this up. No, no. There's no kidding at all. That's the truth. So so she was patient through the whole process. Was she excited about the process or nervous? Oh, I'm... Nervous, I'm sure. I'm sure because it required her, you know, doing the same thing. Yeah. Um, finding a new job, which it, you know, it's never too difficult for a teacher to find a job anymore. Right. But finding a good one might be, you uh, know, uh, another story. Yeah, there's school systems and there's school systems. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but she, it worked out pretty well. She found a good job in a Wonderful. similar school district from mm-hmm. where she taught before, and um, worked out really well. We ended up finding a house. Finally, I could. You know, live in a house instead of a hotel. Right. And um, we're here now going on the second year at Masterpiece Arms. And you've been thrown in the middle of the head of, what is your actual title? Do you I, have one? I think, um, <laughs> yeah, we're not really big on titles, yeah, but I, I have to put so. something on a business it. card. I think <laughs> I'm the DS1911 product manager. Okay. That sounds important, doesn't it? If you know what a DS, Maybe. whatever that is, I don't know. <laughs> exactly. If you know what all this stuff means, I don't know. I always felt like we, you know, we're we're there, everyone there in the shop that's, you know, running the machines, putting parts together, mm-hmm. cleaning parts, whatever. We're there. We're a team. We're we're there doing the same thing, trying to accomplish the same result. So, when you first get there, yes, take me to this. What this looks like? Because yeah. I'm, I've worked a lot of jobs mm-hmm. and and in situations where I've had to be. I brought in as a manager and you're in charge of fixing this with a staff that thinks everything's perfect mm-hmm. and just mentally. They're not, they don't, nobody likes change. You get there. They don't know your history yep. of having to fix stuff. They've already might've been doing wrong because other manufacturers are doing stuff wrong as well. Yeah. You're brought in for a reason. How does this look when you first get there? Is this some, are you accepted with open arms or are you like, you know, machinists, I've met up some very, very nice machinists mm-hmm. with different places I've gone to visit. Some of those guys seem pretty prideful yes, in ab- what they do. Absolutely. Yeah. And, hey, I've, I've met those guys too. Okay. So <laughs> yep. you had some obstacles to overcome when you first got started or you just, well, what was your, how did you handle that? Similar, I you know, similar experience to what you mentioned, and based on my previous experience, I was a bit nervous about it because I've walked into shops like that too. Okay, um, some of the stuff I've, you know, going into new jobs, I've, I've been usually the the youngest guy there, mm-hmm. you know, because I started pretty early on, and you know, before I was ever out of high school, so I you know I gained a lot of experience at a younger age. So I'm coming into some of these positions. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe at a higher level than some of the guys that have been there for a long time mm-hmm. and experienced some of that, you know, some of that stuff that, you know, people didn't like, didn't like to change. I'm coming in with new ideas, fresh ideas, mm-hmm. new technology that I have experience with that the older guys don't, they didn't like it. They didn't, so so, they didn't like it. Well, previously, yes. and I was kind of expecting the same thing walking into MPA, but I had confidence enough with my experience with Phil and our conversations with Phil, the owner, I felt like you had was, the support. He was going to be supportive of, okay. of, of whatever, whatever I was walking into and whatever, whatever we needed. And to gr- my grateful surprise, I walked into everyone there at the shop was super supportive also. Neat. 
and it, it was it was something I've never experienced before in manufacturing. I could, um, you know, if I found a problem, an issue, a part that needed to be changed, adjusted, something, I could let one of the guys know, mm-hmm. we need to do this, we need to change this. Two or three days later, they'd have the parts in my hand, and they're corrected to, you know, my request, my specs, and wow. um, we were ready to go and test it out. And um, it, it, was, it was pretty amazing. It was, it was very different than anything I've experienced in right. in you know, 25 years of manufacturing. So how many changes do you think you had to make? Well, a lot. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's, okay. Um, I don't think anybody really knew how bad off the, the components in the guns were initially. Okay. Um, because from, you know, a overhead view, they're gun parts. They, yeah. they looked okay. Uh, till you start getting in there, like the old John Browning M2 drawings that yes, I worked with. That's where I was getting ago. ready to reference back to yep. myself. You <laughs> so start trying like to, you, you beat me to that punch. Continue. <laughs> you start trying to put these guns together with these parts, and they don't work. Yeah. <laughs> Except I don't have drawings this time. <laughs> Not did, that those were I, all that helpful to begin with. Right. But. I just have I just have a part and a caliber. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> time to measure. So. Yeah. Unfortunately, there were, I think there were about four or 500 of these guns that got out before I started working there. Okay. That's and a lot. We issued, I, I guess, kind of what might refer to as a recall. Yes. It was a Gen 1 upgrade is what we call it. We requested all the dealers that had our guns send them back in and uh, we're, we'll do our upgrades and update the parts. And, and that's not cheap. Do this? No, it's not. But but it was something you had to do for... I think it was well worth it. Yes, you and, have to spend money to make absolutely. money. Absolutely. In, in the long run, we're improving the product. We're, we're not letting these you know inferior products stay out there and, right. let, and let customers have experience with them, You know, negative experiences. So I think it really helped out in the long run. So was this something that was done just by sending out an email, letter, phone call? What did that look like to get back in touch with your customers? Uh, well, it was dealers. Just dealers. The, the salesman contacted all the dealers that that had purchased guns from us. Um, we requested they all send them back. That's uh, hmm. salesman makes money on new sales. Well, yes, salesmen don't really <laughs> enjoy taking returns when it's they're not. You know, most salesmen get paid on stuff that's outgoing. Yeah, not well, stuff that's incoming. This how did, was how does a salesman handle that? Because well, I don't see the salesman being happy coming from the sales world I was in. Phil um, initiated okay. a, a lot of this, and um, you were cussed out by a lot of salesmen. It sounds like not me. <laughs> no, I'm saying <laughs> indirectly. Well, possibly, you're yes. being talked about behind. You don't know this, More but I can tell you from a salesperson <laughs> point of view, somebody's mad. They're having to handle returns because yeah, uh, and, and making those I'm, phone I'm calls. Sure. I'm sure. They get paid by the, they, they you know, salesman takes a lot for a salesman to see the big picture long term. But what has actually happened as a result of this, the dealers and, and the people that have, have had our guns, who had these um, mm-hmm. these earlier model guns, I'm sure it was a pain to get it all sent back. We paid for shipping both ways. Wow. We did all the repairs, no cost. Right. Um, send them shipping labels. There was no cost to the to the dealers or anything. Um, was was every gun pretty much the same issue? Was it different issues? Yeah, every, okay, no, it, it was. was pretty, so it was the same issue. Every it was. It was. Yeah, pretty much. Well, that makes thing. it a little bit easier. So you're not once, having to do a lot of troubleshooting. Right. Once I figured out what the issues were, we corrected them. We tested it. Then we knew, you know, what needed to be done to all of them. Wow. Moving forward at that point. To to survive that through social media, mm-hmm. to survive that through word of mouth says a lot about Phil and what he brings to the table for a customer experience. Yes. And um, I'm 
he's been at it long enough with the with the rifles and and the defender line. He's he's heard just about all of it yeah. from from customers and social media. So that was kind of a uh, one of the most difficult parts for me moving into this position where I had come from, you know, working on these guns for for local shooters and building guns for myself, and having your name on something that worked. This is yeah, and I, all of a sudden putting your name on something that automatically has a recall when you get there. Well, my my name wasn't on any of that stuff. No, no, no. But, <laughs> but when you're working for a company, is, your name's on. It is now. Because now yeah. you're part once of that I'm, company. Once I was there, yes, yeah. my name is on there. And I took a lot of pride in, in these guns I was building and what right. I was doing. And I still do. But it was um, it was difficult for me at first because I was seeing some of this stuff, some of the negativity that had nothing to do with me. It had, you know, it was stuff that was done before I was there. When, when the word masterpiece arms is mentioned in negative connotation or when Hunter's HD Gold is mentioned in negative connotation, you pay attention. Yeah. It's hard not to. And it. But you want to, you know. It was hard for me not, not to take it. It don't feel good. No, it doesn't. <laughs> and, and I took it personally. Yeah. And I shouldn't have because. It, but it was something that it was new to me. It's a new situation, experience for me. Right. And um, I know now that it, uh, most of the, the instances, it was not meant personally. It okay. was just a bad experience the customer was having. Who did you have to talk to to walk through that when you had those feelings? How did you? Um, I actually talked to my wife. Okay. She is, you know, like she said, she's good with the children. Yes. But a come, lot of that. Came home crying like a baby. And is, out <laughs> I get it. <laughs> a lot of that is customer service, too. And yes. she, she knows how to, you know, to handle these. She, Her customer service then is dealing with the parents. Oh, I can't imagine. And she has perfected it, I Damn. think. She right. probably doesn't think that. But she's been doing it so long. She is a master. So let me think about one of her best traits. I never met her in my life, okay. I don't think. She's a good listener. She is. Okay. Because that's she is usually what people want to. I can I'm, I can see some parents that could be very unreasonable. Oh, and, yes. Absolutely. And they just want to be, I think most of them just want to be listened to. That's why and, I said uh, that. Yeah. I, I think a lot of the time that, they, you know, that's the case too. But mm -hmm. then there's sometimes that they don't, I don't know. People just want to voice their opinion. Well, how long did it take you to get it through the, the recall process? Are you still doing some today or are you already through I, it? We're through most of Congratulations. it. Congratulations. We had, it. we've gone through some, some, some really cool, you know, results of this me, me coming on board and um figuring out what needed to be done with the guns what needed to be corrected you created some loyalty that should have made some more sales start happening and it did okay and it, and it created some other kind of booms for our um recalls okay up, upgrades i think that people had found sitting in in gun shops mm -hmm. but they they knew now that they could send it in and, and get the thing repaired and get a much better gun in return Okay. So they were able to get a good deal at, at the gun shop where it had been sitting for a few months because nobody wanted to buy it. Right. Because of all the negativity. But now... Um, Those guns aren't sitting on the shelves anymore. Eight months after I started, um, I didn't know it at the time, but I started talking to customers and people coming into the shop to come visit, you know, coming to take tours or whatever. Mm -hmm. They were telling me about eight months after we heard about Masterpiece Arms, we started hearing that the quality was improving and the guns were improving. And that's when people started getting interested. And I was like... Well, I started about eight months ago. So <laughs> that, that's pretty cool. It is yes. cool, you know, to hear that from the customers now. Right. And there's still a few random guns out there, I'm sure, but I, mm -hmm. I really feel like we've gone through most of them and upgraded most of them. They're much better quality product now. And we're still improving them. We're yeah. still constantly, you know, trying to make improvements on everything we can. For new models that come out and stuff? 
Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know. Nate, you know, I don't know a lot about, I've learned a lot about open guns. I've, I bought some open guns and still buying more. I never stopped buying yes. guns. I pay off one credit card and go buy yes. another one. Keep buying open guns. Yes. Everybody listening. Yes. And buy more open guns. You know, I heard you talking to somebody earlier and they were talking about, you know, guns and everything else. You made a comment that you said your guns are just faster when they have the reaction time, you know, for people that have fast triggers, tr- trigger fingers, they just work faster. Is that oh, something um, that you've been able to do through your process of working on different gun, gun manufacturers and see what, what makes them faster? Well, it's, I mean, it's not like a, it's not new. It's, it's really just a proper timing and, okay. and you know, the fit of the parts and, and reducing any kind of interference and friction anywhere, you know, in the gun and, mm-hmm. and just doing a little more, you know, detail to some, some polishing work and then things in there. But I have seen some that I didn't, some of the earlier um, open guns that I played around with from, from other manufacturers, I didn't, I didn't really know at the time what, what the deal was with them, but right. they were, they had, they had issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of it was just kind of s- sloppy fit um, stuff that was just kind of slowing the, the cycling of the gun down. Right. And it just wasn't tuned properly. It just wasn't, I could kind of see it was not built by a shooter. Right. Um, someone that, you know, could build a gun maybe because they were, you know, given instructions on how to do it, but they didn't really know what the gun needed to do or how it needed to function. Right. And, um, I think that's a, a that's another cool thing that, that, you know, I'm able to do with, with MPA, bring it, you know, bring some, actual shooter knowledge mm-hmm. um you know from a from a gm level shooter right I'm, I'm bringing the knowledge of what these guns need to do into our manufacturing and, and production as well yeah because y'all jumped in i guess what about a, a good year ago with sponsoring some major uspsa matches and getting the name mm-hmm. the name just came out of nowhere yeah you know? and i was yeah. like what who this you know i didn't know a lot about it and what i've seen happening it's just been amazing to watch a company that's been around for a long time, but not in this space, right. to come in and start dominating this space. Are you are you are you having a, a back order of guns? Are you are you keeping up with demand, or is it is it is it, is it everybody all hands on deck still? Is everything crazy? Um, yeah, off and on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. One one of the things that we kind of struggled with, um, kind of early on, and we're still kind of working through that. We're we're it depends on the model of the gun. Okay. We're we're pretty well at a at a good position right now. We're able to keep up with with the workflow. We've brought in some new employees. Oh, we wow. we've actually the the double stack 1911 assembly department mm-hmm. has now doubled in size. Wow. Which was a pretty small area. Right. But if I say it doubled, it sounds like it's it's it, it's, it's more impressive. <laughs> but it, it is. is it is growth. It's growth, yes. And um we brought in uh more employees that I've trained for assembly and parts prep and I'm now sp- able to spend a lot more time on the shop floor helping the guys with um improving some of the manufacturing processes and and gaining some more consistency out of the parts that are coming off the machines. So so the everything is just going to still continue to get better with what we're nice. doing. I've got, you know, at the lab, we have Four, four different points processes throughout the letters, four different inspection processes. Okay. And it goes through each stage. And, and the final inspection usually happens by my lab manager, Marcus, who handled, you know, usually the last person to see everything that goes out 
the door. Is he there looking under the microscope? He is. Yeah. He's the guy. I, that, I toured, yes. your, I toured yes. your shop. Yes. He's the, he's the final guy that looks how the frame is done, how the, you know, everything looks to the microscope based on the different, um, the axis, how everything's turned, how it's been in the light. A lot of stuff over my pay grade. I've looked in that telescope or, or not a microscope and I'm like going, I don't understand yeah. none of that. This looks cool. And everybody laughs at me still, <laughs> but I just didn't, you know, it's not hard. They said, but I didn't, I don't get it. But, you know, are you that person at MPA? Yes, now I am. Um, when I first started there, there was one other guy with me, Jordan, and mm-hmm. um, we, we walked into the, the kind of mess on our own, didn't know what the heck we had right. thrown in our laps, but we, we got it straightened out. It's where we're, you know, you know, we were doing these Gen 1 upgrades and building new guns mm-hmm. and, and adding new models, and I was able to do some, you know, R&D stuff. We started with the open guns, and... Mm-hmm. Um, you got limited guns and in, in you know a couple of different model open guns and it got to we got we got popular like you said yes we, you know we started sponsoring some some major events nationals mm-hmm. and then my R and D time went away I didn't have to, <laughs> <laughs> I've got you know five or six other projects that I've started but right. kind of had to put them on the shelf put them on the back burner I know that feeling well because I'm in charge of that myself and when it gets busy new products you know, go on the side for a little bit and um, it's you know it's 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 good. It's good. Yeah. We've got new stuff that's still going to come out, but now we're at a point. Now we brought on some more, some more employees. I've mm-hmm. trained some more guys for assembly. Wow. Um, we're at we're at a good point now. I think limited optics. Yeah, limited optics. Is it happening at MPA? We had it before limited optics was a thing. So okay. it we just kind of. Oh, fell you're in, the reason that place. you're the reason MPA is the reason we came up with limited sure. optics. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> y'all, y'all gave them the hundreds of thousands of dollars to make this decision. No, all kidding aside, we, there was no, yeah. there was no man. I'm just to clarify that there was no manufacturer <laughs> that paid USPSA umpteen thousand dollars to no, come up with limited optics. There wasn't. Yeah, I, yeah, no, there definitely wasn't. They didn't get anything from us, right? <laughs> so, and that's what I want people to hear. But my, the funny thing is, so. This I've I've talked to Jake and I just I talked to him the other day and this division's it. It's starting to grow. It's starting to happen. I think it I think it's great. I think it kind of falls in line with um you know what seems to be becoming a more popular carry gun now. Mm-hmm. People are carrying, you know, double stack nineteen elevens, twenty elevens. Right. Um they're just they're just more popular now and, and more of the in the mainstream. They were kind of just dedicated to competition, you know, right. for, for a long time. So Without getting too detailed, I'll just round it up. Let's say you're making 10 open guns. Okay. How many limited optics guns are you making to the open guns? Um, One, two? Well, it's, it's kind of... Or is it weird? It's kind of tough to say because you know? it's ju- it's such a new thing. Okay. June, May, June, and July are a big limited optics months. Yeah. Because it was just introduced. Okay. And right after it was introduced, everybody put in orders. Oh, wow. Okay. So we're, we're on, you know, an eight to 12 week lead time or so on the okay. limited optics guns. Right. Almost on the open guns are a little bit longer now, but we're going to get those caught up soon. Neat. So, you know, they kind of come in batches. Right. Um, when the open guns were released, we had a bunch of orders for those. Right. Um, once, once it, you know, everything kind of, you know, evens out. Yeah, I don't know. No, 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 yeah, we don't know yet. We've got yeah. we've got about equal number of bows. Well, the funny thing is, that you said it blew up before it was before it was even legal in the USPSA. People started ordering guns before it happened. Well, it, it's kind of our platform. Um, we we have a uh, what we call a hybrid. It's a nine millimeter hybrid, and the reason that we call it a hybrid because we use the Accuracy X um, optic system okay and um it, it's basically uh it's a it's a nice big heavy uh 
milled portion in the slide that mounts up with the iron sight module and a nice uh, front fiber optic sight. Mm -hmm. If you want to shoot um, iron sights, it's an adjustable rear sight, uh, front fiber optic sight. If you want to shoot a, an optic, a red dot, we have all you have to do is pop the plate off off the back, um, put on whatever kind of um, optic plate that you want for your red dot, whatever right. manufacturer you're using. You can leave the front sight on. You can take it off. We have a little delete plate. So it's, it's a hybrid in, in the sense that you can shoot irons or red dot with it. Wow. And it just kind of lent itself to be the perfect platform for the limited optics gun. Once we had our um, stainless steel grip installed on that on that platform, mm -hmm. I don't even offer it with iron sights. I just I just developed one for what I would want for a limited optics gun, the way I, I would shoot that gun. I kind of right. set that up as a model. We started advertising it as the limited optics competition gun. Great. Sounds like another credit card purchase. Yeah, you need a couple of them. No, one. <laughs> One's good. One's, if somebody has two guns that go down, I'm going to have one for them, not two. But, so. um, <laughs> yeah, we have that set up. And it's just kind of, I set it up the way that I would like to shoot it. I like that. And um, Is this but, kind of your signature series? Is everything kind of your signature series now? Well, I, I actually do have a signature series <laughs> yes. open gun. Yeah. But um, now the limited optics isn't. It's, it's just kind of. I don't know. It's set up for me the way I like it, but right. customers can still, you know, customize it to a certain extent if, right. if they don't want to, uh, the nitro fin thumb rest that we're using from shooting sports innovations, right. you know, they don't have to use it. That's fine. It's just the way I like it. That's the way it's set up. You can leave it off, save yeah. a few bucks there, whatever. Very, very cool. Well, let's bring it all full circle because okay. you left baseball yeah. because of a team and it was kind of getting too political. Everything was going on just outside, which was not yeah. having any interest anymore. And now you're back with a shooting team. <laughs> yes. You thought about that <laughs> until now? <laughs> it's yes. I mean, I have off and on and, you know, before I was part of, you know, Masterpiece Arm shooting team, but I, you know, I just, maybe it comes with age, just, you know, a little more life experience okay. and, and where I am now. It's, it's, I'm still just competing with myself. Okay. Um, out here, you know, we're at the Area 4 Championship yes, now are. in Texas. Yes, we are. And it's still nice and warm out there. Yes. But, you know, obviously we're out here competing against other people in our divisions and, and you know, fellow competitors. But really, I'm still competing with myself. And it's just kind of the the mentality I've had with, with the shooting sports for the whole time. You know, I've talked to some gun manufacturers out there. Some gun manufacturers have the mentality of we have to win. This gun has to win. And it's all they care yeah. about. Yeah. Does Phil drive the team like that sometimes? That he he wants wins with his gun, or is it more of yeah. the experience? Or you it's know? it's definitely more of the experience. Okay. Wins are nice. Yeah. Sure. Of course. That's you know we're he's a competitive shooter. Yeah. He's won a lot himself. Yes. With the precision rifle stuff, mm -hmm. we have a rifle team. Mm -hmm. We want everybody to win, but they don't have to. Okay. It's about promoting. You know the what we're doing here. Um, you know, with firearms, safe use of firearms, um, promoting the sport, promoting the company. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's really about you know the the ambassadors of, of our sport and the company. It's um, wins are nice, but that's not the the end all be all. Right. What does your mom and dad think now? My mom actually said this is what I was born to do. Wow. So I think that's pretty cool. That is really cool. And your dad? My dad is interested in it as well. He right. he he wants my match schedule each year. Yeah. So he'll come to some matches with me on occasion. Right. And he'll just come hang out. He'll bring a lawn chair and an umbrella. Yeah. 
he'll kick back and does he does he come to the factory sometimes just to watch you work and watch everything going on he, at hasn't, the factory? he hasn't been there no right. he hasn't been out to the shop yet, my dad right. when he was living when i started doing lenses before he passed away he would come hang out at the lab sometimes mama be at the house with my with sherry and my wife and he would just come up there and just watch things happen and just interested in that so i can understand that feeling of pride so that's kind of that's kind of cool. cool. It is pretty cool. One of, one of the other uh, things I thought was really cool uh, about, my, about my parents and my, and my dad, like I mentioned early on in the podcast, my dad was never really, um, you know, in the, in the shooting yeah. much at all after the um, Vietnam era stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I built him a gun for Christmas last year. I wanted him to have a, our commander. It's our, um, it's our lightweight uh, aluminum frame. Um, carry carry model gun yeah and i built him a kind of a custom one just did some custom uh cerakote colors on it and engraved, yeah. engraved his name on the side of the gun and i put it in a nice wooden box I just give it to him as a christmas present and i never oh. really expected him to shoot it i didn't i didn't really care if he shot it or not this was just, this was just something cool that i wanted to give to him this is what i'm doing now i'm building these guns oh. i built one for you i want you to have it you know merry christmas he Tells me I'm over there at his house. Maybe a couple months, couple months. Were you later. there when he opened it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I was there. Walk we me, had family walk, around. Walk me through that. Well, he's always a uh, kind of emotionless. Okay. So <laughs> there well, was my, my, there father, a, my father was too. There wasn't I, a whole lot there. I mean, I could tell he appreciated it. No, that's, but we had a lot of family around, yeah. so it wasn't. He wasn't. You know, so to get out of hand. And but. the only reason I asked that question, I gave my dad a gun. You know couple years before he passed away yeah. it was a revolver by ruger and it's one of their engraved editions yeah you know the, the sp something whatever the revolver they do got. some really cool stuff all engraved by the factory yeah and i gave that to him one year for christmas and it's one of the few times i, I saw my dad you know have emotions of like oh this is special yeah. so that was I, I, that's why it brought me to your story to relate there because that was a real cool moment for me i didn't make the gun but I took the time to pick out something based on what he did. And you took the time to build something based what, on what you thought he would appreciate. What I, I what normally, well, not normally, but what did happen was I hear it from my mom later. Oh. My dad will bring the box back out and he'll open the gun when they're sitting on the back porch or something. And yeah. then when, I don't know, if he's, that's, uh, can't show emotion from other people yeah. or something. Oh, but, it's, it's a, that's a, definitely but, a thing. Yeah. Uh, so. Then I'll, I'll hear about it from my mom. And, Congratulations! And how cool that is. Uh, that's know, that's, is, but. that's a that's a, that was one of those aha moments. I'm sure of like, I, I've got to a point to you don't you don't get any special moments like that. Sometimes you're a family. No, that was pretty that, cool. That is really cool. Congratulations! But he, um, I'm I'm over at the house. I, I I still go back. Um, you know, every couple months I try to go back and I'll hang out for a spend a Friday night there and go shoot a local match Saturday morning and head back home or something. But yeah. he told me he was out there working on reloads. I was like, what? <laughs> he's built himself a berm in the backyard. Uh, this and is he had, amazing. He had laid down a, a blanket or a towel or something in the backyard because he didn't want to drop the magazines in the dirt. That's out, yeah. He's like, I can't quite get it as fast as you guys do yet. <laughs> he's out there shooting in the backyard, working on reloads, speed reloads. <laughs> I never thought he'd shoot the thing. Yeah. He's built himself a berm in the backyard. Him and my mom are out there that is- shooting in the backyard. My mom shot at one time. My, my dad said it, uh, I think her second shot almost went over the top of the berm and she didn't want to shoot anymore after that. It's probably a good thing. <laughs> but um, I don't know. He what was a, out there. What so an amazing pretty, pretty story. Cool. That's so cool. So cool. You know, how can people get in touch with you or MPA if they want to, you know, talk more about Masterpiece Arms? Yeah, well, we have a good website. It, um, it 
I'm trying to keep it updated. I mean, I we're advancing and, and progressing so much. It's hard to keep everything on there, right. but masterpiecearms.com okay. you know, has all our, our products on there now. All right. Um, you're able to customize a lot of the, the pistol stuff on the website, but if there's something, you know, that's, it's not specific to that model, you can call us. Um, you can email me, uh, David at masterpiecearms.com. Okay. Um, I can walk anybody through, you know, any kind of technical questions. Um, any kind of money, financial stuff, you have to call customer service. I don't know anything about that. I don't blame you. Te- technical stuff, yeah, I'm your guy. Yeah, I'd stay out of that, too. That's why I tell <laughs> people to call Chris at the lab when they need other stuff done besides what I offer. Yeah. So. Well, man, did we leave off anything? Well, I want to go out here and uh, try to win this Takato Area 4 <laughs> with a Masterpiece arm. So <laughs> we'll see how that goes. <laughs> The competition is is alive and well. I think I got to get Tony in here for a podcast next. That is amazing. That's awesome. Well, man, David, thank you so much for taking time to sit down with me today and kind of discuss where you're at and what the future looks like. I'm excited, man. It's 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 great. I appreciate you having me in here, and um, I've had a great time with Masterpiece Arms so far, and we've got we've got a lot of new stuff coming up. Oh wow! Stay tuned for that. Well. Thank you so much for watching or listening to this episode of Hunter's HD Gold Behind the Lens. And until next time, we'll see you at the range soon. Thank you, David. For a complete written transcript of The Dr. Bill Show, go online to www.icarismusic.com. And welcome back to The Dr. Bill Show. Let's go to a caller who seems to be having issues communicating with his girlfriend. Caller? Yeah, I've had this problem with my girlfriend. Um, she kind of broke up with me. I've been doing everything right. Everything's been going great. We went out. We've gone out for, I don't know, I'd say a good five, six months. Everything good. Everything's good. I mean... But, son, you've got to use communication. I, I've done that. I mean, what what else can I do? I mean, seriously, I mean, like... I, son, son, son. Some girls are just b****. <laughs>